HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. With more than 30 weekly podcasts, HRN has something for every food lover. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We've been making cheese in Wisconsin since before we were even a state, which may be one reason why we win so many awards for it. It's what happens when a whole state dreams in cheese. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Hi, and welcome to A Taste of the Past. I'm your host, Linda Palaccio, on this journey through culinary history. And today we're going to be talking about curry. If I say curry to you, you most likely will be thinking of an Indian dish, perhaps? Well, curry is a word that is imbued with many meanings and mixed emotions. From the time of colonialism, it was long used to describe Indian food in general. And that's a term that often had a derogatory connotation to those of Indian descent. Today, fortunately, we recognize the regionality and diversity of the cuisine of India. And yet, largely through savory, that enigmatic dish curry remains one of the most global of dishes, despite its many guises from one country to the next. And the food writer, Sejal Sukudwala, has done a little unraveling of this history, and she describes the history, the etymology, and the conflicts of curry in her book, The Philosophy of Curry, by the British Library series, The Philosophy Series. Sejal is a food writer who lives in London, and she frequently writes about Indian food and restaurants. She was born in India. She's written for a wide range of publications in the UK and the US and India, including The Guardian, The Times, and BBC Food. Sejal is also writing an Indian food dictionary, which uh, here is an ongoing project. Welcome, Sejal. Thank you. Thanks, Linda. Um, what, when we when I first asked you what you know what got you going on this the this idea of curry being um, had had been for a long time a a word that that Indian people of Indian descent would rather not use and you said well you talked about being the first writer of Indian descent to write about it uh, can you expand on that a little bit for me. Yeah, when I first started researching the book, um, 
I I was looking for Indian voices on this topic. I, I wanted to incorporate Indian Indian views and um, Indian people's thoughts, and I couldn't find anything. I discovered that um, f- very few people have actually written about curry. People have written about Indian food history, but few people have actually focused on the topic. And those few people are from mostly from um, American and British backgrounds, um, they're white, uh, mainly white Americans and white British people. And there's one diaspora um, Indian person who's one or two who've written about the curry, uh, about the topic. Um, but there, are, there aren't any Indian people who've written about um, curry, especially ones living in India. And I, I thought that was really interesting. But it's a very, um, I mean, you know, as we'll see later on, um, it's, it's a term that, that was... Um, adapted from an Indian word by the Portuguese and the British. So it's very much a kind of Western word for, yes. for an Indian dish. Yeah. Um, and although it's been embraced by people in India, it's it's they haven't really made it their own. So I think they continue, many people continue calling dishes by their own individual names. And very when few say their individual names, such as the flavor, the types, the how it's prepared. Like, give us yeah, I mean, well, there are, there are, yeah, there are different regional examples. Like, for instance, you know, curry in vegetable curry in North India, for instance, would be called sabzi, um, and then in Gujarat, for instance, vegetable curry would be called shark. Um, so th- there are lots of words, individual words like that, which describe, you know, either vegetable curries or meat curries, um, depending on their texture, the consistency, um, ingredients, cooking techniques, and so on. So th- there are lots of regional variations in, in their names. Like, for instance, salan, which is a Hyderabadi curry, always contains um, dried coconut and peanuts. Um, so the word curry, the generic term curry, is not used very often, but because of... Um, British and international influences, people do use curry in India, but mostly when they use the word curry, they mean restaurant-style curries, which is, um, you know, like curries, I mean, dishes cooked in onion, tomato, gravies, uh, like North Indian style. Right, right. Which is, a, which is a dominant style in restaurants. Yes, indeed. Um, and, in fact, the, the, you know, it became, well, largely through colonialism, obviously, it became probably more popular in Britain than any place else in the world for, for, you know, a couple hundred years. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, you, you mentioned that um, the word came from a, a, a an older uh, type of a word from the Tamil language, yeah. perhaps. Kari. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and can you talk a little bit more about that etymology and, and the history and what we know, what we've, what you've been able to glean from research? Yeah, um, I mean, uh, um, the the word, the Tamil word curry, um, simply meant. Um, I mean, first of all, it means charcoal, uh, not as in charcoal cooking, but charcoal as in the color black. So it was applied. The term was applied to dishes which had black pepper in it. So either it was prefaced with, you know, the dishes with black pepper were either prefaced with the, with the word curry or had the word curry somewhere in the in the name. Um, and these dishes were either, you know, dishes with gravies or pickles, basically anything, any kind of relish that um, you ate with rice. So um, anything with black pepper basically was, was given the name curry. And um, 
this you know this included a wide range of dishes i mean it was um like for instance there would be soups there would be lentil you know thin lentil broths um thicker lentil broths vegetable stews you know all kinds of different dishes and when the portuguese came to india in the 15th century they eventually they they used the word um they they, they took the tamil tamil word curry and then they uh, changed it to karel now there are two theories about this you know either karel is a kannada language word for the tamil word curry or it's a um, singular word for curry and then they changed it to uh, curry as in c u r e e mm-hmm. um and then the british came and changed c u r e e curry into curry which is spelled c u r r y so there was a lot of ad- adapting going on um right and yeah. uh, but it it comes from the tamil word curry which means black pepper um uh, basically and um but you know i mean there are different food historians who've said who've given diff- different explanations as well like uh, for instance some people say it just means to eat by biting or it means uh, dishes with gravy you know like sauce um when i say by the way i use the word gravy which is which seems like which sounds like a british word because the word sauce can be used but the reason why i don't use the word sauce is because uh, in india people when people use the word sauce they mean tomato ketchup so <laughs> so <laughs> differentiate I, i like to differentiate by using right. the word that, and that has a, a whole history in itself so we won't yeah, even yeah. go there no <laughs> right. no that's right yeah <laughs> yeah you i know, mean it's interesting because in looking for you know the origins of the word curry you know one of the oldest manuscripts in in english in in cookery yeah. um was the form of curry right yeah From yeah that's right 1990 and i thought yeah. wait form of curry well but then the old english word or the middle english word for curry meant cookery cookery yeah that's right um, so that that's it's very confusing yes if, to be yeah. to be certain right well some of the but now when we when we the curry dishes that we know of curried goat curry chicken but but with different spices and flavorings mm-hmm. obviously the spice trade influenced this whole uh history of curries tremendously right yeah that's right yeah i mean uh when the early colonials when the colonials first went to india they went looking for spices the portuguese um were the first to arrive in india and they they came looking for spices um and then the british uh, and the dutch came as well i mean the dutch went to indonesia but they they were looking for spices as well so uh, the spice trade was the foundation of um colonialism and um they adapted traditional indian dishes to to such an extent that you know eventually they started being called curry so this generic umbrella term which i think is a category you know category of dishes but it was just applied generically whether it was south indian dish or whether it was north indian um or bengali or gujarati or whatever it didn't make any difference you know it was all curry to to the british who didn't really understand um the the regional differences or the nuances or um i mean even you know the um because there's a huge amount of variation depending on which region which city uh which caste or community or subcommunity someone comes from so there's huge huge amount of difference and i think even in india you know people people's knowledge is often limited to their own community or their own sort of family so i think you know for outsiders to come in and try and grasp this you know this level of knowledge all these details it's just 
impossible. I mean, it could take years and years. So in a way, it's not surprising that they just, you know, think any any kind of meat or vegetable dish cooked in a gravy, they just called it curry. Um, yeah, that's that's that is pretty generic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. It's Indeed. a bit like it's a bit like in India um, after the after the British left, there was a, it was really fashionable to cook in the oven. Uh, in, in the nineteen seventies, eventually became fashionable to cook, you know cook baked dishes in the oven, and all you know all Indians called anything baked in the oven a big dish. So they use this generic term and it didn't really matter whether it was macaroni cheese they were cooking or souffle or pizza or um, lasagna. You know, it was all big dish. You know, mm-hmm. They just use that. <laughs> they use the term big dish and it's a bit like that. Um, you know, when p- people use the term curry, it's, it's a huge variety of dishes and they're just given this generic name. And this is one of the reasons why um, many especially diaspora Indians have rejected the term and they don't like using it because they think, you know, it simplifies really complex cuisine into this, you know, one umbrella term. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and also there were some racist connotations uh, yeah. attached to it as well. Right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, um, there's, uh, there's a number of things, uh, you know, the use of spices um, led uh, non-Indians to, Tease Indians uh, in playgrounds as well as actually in you know in some European cities in apartment blocks as well. The neighbors started teasing them about the smell of curry, you know, which is um, which 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 has made people really self conscious about cooking curries. Um, I know of people who won't cook curries in they just won't cook curries in the house because it might offend the neighbors. Um, mm-hmm. Then yeah and. Um, then you know it's it's a very dismissive. I mean, it, it can be a dismissive term because it's, or it, it can feel like a dismissive term because you're reducing a cuisine into you know that one category, um, and also because of its association with colonialism. Um, yes, it's it's a kind of you know lots of diaspora Indians, especially they they feel like you know the cuisine has been appropriated, um, and. Um, it's it's been twisted and mangled and ruined, basically, you know, by um, the British coming along and simplifying the dishes and right. just calling everything curry. So there are lots of people who are really angry about about that, um, mm-hmm. and they won't use the word. But also, you know, they didn't they, they, they didn't grow up using the term curry because their parents used you know individual names for individual dishes. So if you like, if you're from um, Gujarat, you know, you might have called vegetable curry shark or um, um, a, a pulse, you know, something made with pulses or legumes would be called kator. So you'd use all these different terms and you wouldn't necessarily use the word curry. But having said that, you know, there are lots of Indian people who did, who did grow up with the term curry. Like I was, you know, my family has used curry to use, describe um, North Indian style restaurant curries. Um, but mm-hmm. for every everyday cooking, the the food that my mum cooks, that's you know she uses like individual words, individual terms for um, individual dishes. But for um, North Indian style tomato onion gravy dishes, um, my parents would use the term curry. Even so, to the point where, as early as the mid 1700s, I guess it was the the British or, or South India came up with the powder, the the curry powders. Let's talk about curry powder, that kind of 
sometimes heinous substance, sometimes yeah. very good if it's a garam masala that's made, you know, by somebody who knows their spices. But uh, let's let's talk about that because it helps define some of the, you know, what we're talking about, the dishes. Yeah, um, I would actually distinguish between garam masala, which is an Indian invention, um, and curry powder, which is a British, it, it has British origins. Right. Because there are all these different spice blends in Indian cooking, which, again, you know, they all... Uh, they, they all vary because of you know they're all from different regions so yeah there's Kashmiri uh, vermasala um, then there's um, uh, uh, Vaduva masala from Pondicherry in the, in the south um, then there are Podi masalas from Maharashtra um, then in Gujarati cooking you just use cloves and cinnamon ground together and there's Gujarati garam masala um, in, there's Punjabi garam masala which is a lot more yeah, there are a lot more spices um, so there are all these different and uh, oh, in Bengal you get panchvaran, which is a mix of five whole spices. Mm. So there are various different regional spice blends, and no one uses the word curry powder because curry powder is a British invention, which basically is. Um, um, I mean, the only because I've, I've seen ingredients for lots of different curry, you know, spice blends called curry powder, and the only thing they have in common is that they they use turmeric powder. Um, but other than that, I mean, it's just a random mix of spices. It's just, right. It could be anything. It could be coriander, cumin. I mean, there's no, there's no such thing as a. I mean, there's no no such thing as curry powder in, in, <laughs> because it was uh, invented by the British, and um, around I would say, around eighteenth century, and then it but it really started taking off in the nineteenth century, and the reason why they concocted this spice blend is because they found Indian cooking too complex mm. uh, the British colonial colonials and they found Indian cooking too hot and pungent and they wanted to adopt they wanted to adopt it to their own taste um, so they took the spice blends that the the, the servants and the spice you know this there were especially spice uh, spice blenders and spice makers who grind spices on um, uh, stones and pestle and mortars motors in Indian families those days but they took their techniques and um, the g general idea of grinding spices and they uh, adapted recipes to suit their own taste so they made made them mild you know like milder mm -hmm. um, or they came I mean eventually when they got, got used to sort of hot food as well they, they, there are all these different levels of well there are all these different heat levels so there was mild curry powder medium and hot um, but it was basically created by uh, British colonials, and um, in the in the early days when the, the East India Company men who returned to England, um, they were they were still buying individual spices from the chemists. So there were no they, they weren't using mm. curry powders. But it was only um, around I would say eighteenth and nineteenth century that curry powder, especially nineteenth century, started taking off. It was around in the eighteenth century, but it was not. Um, that popular or that well known, but in the 19th century, it just became ubiquitous, and it was right. available. Yeah, it was available in department stores and in um, even in corner shops by the end of the century, end of 19th century. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, with 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 all of this dumbing down, as you say, of of the of the flavors of certain spices, um, particularly the, some of the spices from South India, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah, um, I think you had mentioned uh, sambar and rasam. Yeah, yeah. The the Madras curry powder, which was the first first one, I think, to be 
uh, invented because Madras curries were really um, like favorite. They were like a favorite of um, Anglo Indians, and Anglo Indians are um, people of mixed uh, European and Indian heritage. So. But in the early days, the British colonials called, called themselves Anglo-Indians, so there's a bit of con- confusion around that. But now, you know, the term means people of mixed European, not just British, but European and Indian heritage. Right. But the, the early Anglo-Indians um, in, uh, invented Madras curry because they loved uh, curries made in the presidency town of Madras, which has now changed its name to Chennai. But in those days, it was called Madras. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and they loved the curries there, um, and I think they were the the favorite. So the first curry powder to be invented was Madras curry powder. Then there was Bengal curry powder, which was based on Bengali spice mixes, and Bombay curry powder, which was based on um, Maharashtra and Gujarati spice mixes. Uh, but they've gone extinct, extinct. So the only one that remains is Madras curry powder, and I think that's just because Madras curries were the most popular. And you know, we still, I mean, I've, I've read, you know, like works by Anglo-Indians in, in 19th century where they just rave about Madras curry and how, you know, um, the old kind of Mad- cooks in Madras um, knew how to cook curries properly. And once they, di- you know, once they died, they didn't pass on the recipes to their children and grandchildren. So the curries weren't the same anymore. Mm. And they were complaining about how, you know, um, there were no written down recipes for these old Madras curries. So they tried to replicate that those, you know, those tastes, um, but according to their taste. So, you know, they just made them less pungent and less hot. Right. Well, you know, it's interesting um, with the the colonists who were there, the British who embraced this food. I mean, they embraced it to the point where they... You know, they took it home with them and and yeah. um, hired the you know a, a cook you said largely yeah. Muslim. Why do you think the British embraced it so much? Because it's delicious. <laughs> Good answer. Good answer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think yeah. Initially, you know, it was the fascination with spices and what spices could do because you know they came looking for spices, um, so they were just entranced by. The, the flavors which were exotic on one hand, but also familiar because medieval Arab cookery, which which has spices in it as well, uh, which had spices rather, mm-hmm. uh, that influenced medieval English cooking. So the British, it, to an extent, were were used to some spices, you know. Right. I mean, the, that that was in, it was back there in their background somewhere because you know you you look at some of those those yeah. medieval middle you know middle English dishes and they yeah. did include a lot of spices when yeah. the spice trade was so you know so hot you know until yeah. it became not hot anymore. Right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. They would have been used to kind of milder blend of spices and um, just different tastes, you know, because you. Because Indian food contained in those days lots of black pepper and different, you know, different kind of um, um, spices, which gave the food uh, some heat, like mustard and ginger, um, and black peppercorns, uh, Quebec pepper, long pepper. Uh, this is before the chilies arrived in India, so um, it would have given given it a kind of exotic and yet familiar taste. So I think partly they were entranced by what spices could do and how, you know, they could liven up food. Um, and then towards the end of the stay, because the um, food in Britain was 
influenced by French cooking more and more. Mm-hmm. I think Indian food just contrasted with what they were used to. You know, they were used to um, uh, not spicy food, but food which was ri- rich in butter and uh, dairy products and sauces. So mm-hmm. spicy food was just complete contrast. So it was it was a mixture of like exotic and familiar. Yes. Yes. Um, it, yes. And I mean, the, that the Persian influence, um, certainly, you know, on spices can be, uh, can be, is very noticeable, but it was interesting also to read. And I, I, I hadn't really given it much thought that, you know, the, because we read so much about the spice trade and, and the influence of spices on, on foods and many cultures, um, and how it became, we know certain of the upper class that if you could afford these exotic spices, you know, you could, it was a show of wealth until suddenly mm. the spice, you know, when the spice trade took off and yeah. the spices were readily available, it was mm. not so, not, not so special anymore. And in fact, it became, as you said, um, a rather common ordinary place or vulgar uh, type of food. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Because, um, um, the, the well curries and spices um had a kind of roller coaster relationship with with the british you know they they, they went in and indian food went in and out of fashion uh there, there was a time when they were fascinated what you know with the with the spicy flavors and um they they were impressed by these flavors they wanted to replicate these flavors um and it was the, these flavors were lacking in their own cuisine um, and then there were other times when they were seen as too vulgar and too, you know, like arousing passions and uh, too ah. ubiquitous. Mm-hmm. There were, uh, yeah, the, the spices were everywhere and they were seen as too common and um, too, you know, too loud and too sort of, yeah, just too vulgar, like you said. Um, mm-hmm. And then there was a fashion for like subtly or more kind of new, subtly spiced or more nuanced dishes. So, you know, use of less chili um what, you know, one point in the 19th century. So, yeah, there, there were all these kind of differences in attitudes, like, you know, one minute they were fashionable, the next minute they weren't, you know, they'd gone out of fashion. Um, and partly it's also to do with, I mean, not just French influence, but it's to do with their attitude towards India as well. I mean, they came to India and they were like in awe of everything, you know. The, I mean, India was extremely wealthy in those days and they wanted a piece of the action, you know, they wanted... Um, spices. They wanted some of the wealth. They wanted to make money. Um, they wanted to get rich quick. You know that this kind of thing. And then the later colonials thought themselves to be superior to Indians, and they wanted to discipline. You know, introduce discipline to India, and they wanted to control Indians more. You know, so th- there was a difference in attitude from the, you know from early colonials to later colonials. So that affected their attitude towards the, the food as well. Um, so. At the beginning, they were, they, you know, the early colonials loved it, and they um, they ate Indian food. But the later colonials thought it was too heavy to digest, and it was too greasy, and it was too um, uh, kind of uncouth and unsophisticated for British palates. So they started looking down on it. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I mean, of course, as you said too, the the influence of, you know, the the French haute cuisine was. Started to take over. Um, we're we're going to take a brief break and come back to this discussion because I also want to talk about uh, how 
different dishes um, called curries also really started to get take on roots in many countries around the globe. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. There's a reason when you think of Wisconsin, you think cheese. Cheese is a huge part of Wisconsin's history and future. In Wisconsin, the state of cheese, the tradition of cheesemaking excellence began 180 years ago, before Wisconsin was recognized as a state. Immigrants traveled to settle in this lush, green hills of Wisconsin, bringing their cheesemaking traditions with them. These storied skills combined with the freshest milk available created a cheesemaking culture that is uniquely Wisconsin. Wisconsin's 1,200 cheesemakers, many of whom are third and fourth generation, continue to pass on old-world traditions while adopting modern innovations in cheesemaking craftsmanship. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Hi, we're back, and I'm talking with Sejal Sukadwala, and we're talking about the philosophy of curry. Yes, it's more than just what you think of as a dish. There's a whole philosophy behind it, right? <laughs> we can, yeah. And we are, we're, we're hearing it, right. Um, I, I said I wanted to talk about more about um, uh, some of the, the dishes. I mean, it's Yes, you said that so many of the food writers, food writer, food writing, um, and food history came rather late. You say to uh, to the subcontinent, and yeah. you didn't find too many Indian voices to write about it. But then, as far as those who would deny, be be the you know the curry deniers, as far as a word mm-hmm. describing a whole cuisine. Of course, we don't want to use one word to describe a whole cuisine. That you know, it's erroneous. But I found it, it interesting because so many of the dishes involve New World foods, as you pointed out mm-hmm. earlier. You know, tom- yeah. tomatoes, potatoes, uh, chilies. And you That's said, right. "What would we want to? What would we want to do? Reduce it and take it back to those origins? I mean, you know, yeah, and." And it's a very interesting concept, you know, that that there's a reason for not understanding it. Another reason for, well, it started to come on and take on a life of its own. So much so that there are cultures in Malaysia and, and Indonesia and certainly, um, you know, Trinidad and Japan even, who really embraced uh, the use of spiced sauces and their own and have developed their own curries and tastes of curries. Yeah, Indian food has, I mean, I think it's, um, personally, I see it as a gift, you know, which Indian cuisine has given to the rest of the world, um, although not not in ideal circumstances, you know, because um, often the, uh, the the curry powders and curry pastes and curry, d- these dishes travel to other countries via indentured laborers, uh, yes. basically, you know, slave laborers, which, who were paid really badly, um, but they, you know, they would they travelled to these countries or they were sent to these countries with the British colonials, and they used ingredients from local cuisines and adapted their dishes, which then got um, embraced by the native communities, you know, of those nations, um, mm-hmm. and um, so. But you know, yeah, curries are really popular in you know like all over the world and you know they all have their takes 
takes on them and they use like local ingredients and then Indian influences and they combine the two. And it's really fascinating, you know, just how the whole genre has developed. And I think the the chapter on curries around the world is probably the most surprising that people have told me that they've found because they just associate associated curry with Indian food. And there are all these different curries, um, especially, you know, Japanese people. I've, I've had so, so many comments from Japanese readers um, who've, uh, I think I've, I've got more like fans from Japan for this book than anywhere <laughs> else because they just love, they love curry. It's really, really popular there. I mean, certainly uh, Malaysia, you know, we, we know of the Penang region and the Penang curry being, you know, very specific. Um, mm-hmm. And, I think one of one of the iterations that I'm not quite sold on yet is the German currywurst. Well, oh yes, <laughs> I, I I did have to try it when I was there, and I just I said, eh, you know, it was like a a, a spicy ketchup sauce. You know, it was not <laughs> it yeah. didn't really do it for me. <laughs> yeah, but basically a sausage with some you know some sp- a spicy ketchup spa- sauce. Not even that spicy at all. Yeah. So uh, it, that was interesting. Not that great. Yeah, maybe they should just use chili flavored ketchup. <laughs> I think so, right? Yeah. Uh, you you wrote about um the dishes. Oh, we were talking about the French cuisine coming in. Of course, then as you mentioned the dairy products um were more incorporated more heavy creams and, and things in the sauces. Yeah. In fact, so that it was added to uh an Indian dish or a dish of Indian origin, chicken tikka. Um, uh-huh. And then it became so popular, and chicken tikka masala came about. Can you can you tell? There was that cute story that you told that um, about the most popular dish that was even on a, a citizenship test. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, actually, recently, the you know the um, supposed in- inventor of chicken masala, chicken tikka masala, died a few weeks ago. Um, and I mean, there are also mythologies about you know, how the dish came about. Um, and it was um, supposed to be, I mean, one theory is that it was invented by a Glasgow restaurateur called Ali Ahmed Aslam of a restaurant called Shish Mahal. And he um, passed away a few a few weeks ago. Um, but then, the, I mean, you know, basically the, well, he said in an interview that um, he invented the dish because um, a customer asked for sauce to go with his chicken tikka. Chicken tikka is just a chicken kebab, so it's a dry um, dry kebab. And the customer associated Indian food with uh, gravies and, you know, spice sauces. So he thought the kebab was too, it was too dry, so he wanted a sauce to go with it. So Mr. Ali then took Campbell's um, tomato soup, cream of tomato soup, and added some spices to it, and then, you know, just made a gravy out of it and then put the chicken tikka in it and then served it to the customer who loved it. And then he spread the word about this chicken tikka curry, chicken tikka masala, and that's how the dish was born. But I think it's, um, I mean, personally, I think it's been around a lot longer. You know, I don't think, I think this is just a a story that he made up because it's a famous dish and everyone wants to claim that they invented it. Um, So I actually think it's, because you know, first of all, in the um, in India, there are lots of kebab curries. Uh, now, kebab curries go back to Mughlay period, so from 16th century onwards, you find kebab curries, which is basically leftover kebabs, in a, you know, made um, served in a gravy. 
Um, so kebab curries have existed for a long time, even before Mr. Ali came, you know, came along. So there's a tradition of, you know, these, uh, these, these type of, uh, these type of curries. Then there's um, also there's a theory that in Delhi's Moti Mahal restaurant, there was um, uh, the restaurateur used leftover chicken. It, chicken tikka which was cooked in a tandoor oven because Moti Mahal was the first restaurant Indian restaurant to introduce tandoor uh, tandoor oven because, you know that became and that actually came about because of the uh, the trade on the Grand Trunk Road that um, there were lots of you know this uh, restaurateur fled uh, the, after Pakistan he fled um, he was a Hindu Muslim and he fled Pakistan and he came to Delhi and he, he brought along his tandoor and on his journey he cooked lots of meat and um, flatbreads, you know, naan breads. And um, as soon as he came to Delhi, he opened this restaurant called um, Moti Mahal, which is really famous for in, having invented um, chicken tikka, which is a type of chicken kebab. And he said that he, there was so much ch- chicken tikka lying around, you know, because there was, so much, there was such a high demand for it that he had to keep making loads and loads of chicken tikka in the tandoor oven, but there would be lots left over because he didn't know, you know, he, he couldn't gauge what the customer customer demand was going to be like. So with leftover, sorry, with the leftover chicken tikka, he put it in tomato and cream and butter gravy, and that is the kind of predecessor of chicken tikka masala. That's another thing. Well, I like I like that story better, actually. <laughs> yeah, because the other one doesn't really make sense, I no, think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then it think, became think, so popular in, in Great Britain that um, uh, I don't know whether it's apocryphal or if it's a, a true story that it it was put as a question on the citizenship test. No, it is. It's, it's true. Yeah, because I've seen I've seen those questionnaires. Yeah, yeah. No, it's yeah. true. And uh, even the, you know my anecdote about the Persian Persian grocer who passed his test because he answered chicken tikka masala. That's actually that's a true story as well. As being um, the most popular dish in, in Great Britain, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean it was. Um, yeah, it, I mean until recently, because now apparently you know chicken korma is number one curry, but it was so yeah. popular that it. it, it, it it was on the citizenship test, and um, actually, this is how you know it's, it's funny because when uh, when British Library asked me to do this book, I wasn't sure about it, so I just said, "Look, you know, I'm, I'll think about it and I'll get back to you." And then on the on the very same evening, I left my house to go to just you know just a few minutes walk down my down the road. There's a Persian grocer, so I walked in and I picked up a bunch of fenugreek leaves and. Um, the, the owner of the shop had never spoken to me before. Um, and he said, oh, are you making methi chicken? Methi chicken is just chicken chicken curry with um, fenugreek leaves. So I said, mm-hmm. no, um, no, I'm, you know, I said, I'm vegetarian, so I'm going to make uh, fenugreek dumplings or something. And he was very disappointed. And he said, oh, I love methi chicken. You know, it's my favorite curry. And then he started going on about how, you know, he loved curries and um, he ate Indian curries, you know, whenever he could. And uh, and then he started telling me about this uh, citizenship test. And he said, you know, that the, there was this um, uh, question on chicken tikka masala. And he he knew that um, the answer to the question of what is British national dish was chicken tikka masala because he knew about Robin Cook, 
Cook's speech, you know, which is a really famous speech, which which gets um, quoted in every discourse about curry in in Britain. Um, but his, fam- his his friend didn't know that, and his friend just said fish and chips, so his friend failed, and he passed. <laughs> He passed the test. But then, you know, since then I've seen evidence in printed questionnaires in, in, you know, like newspaper reports and so on. So I know that he was, he was telling the truth. Um, but yeah, it's, it's funny that, you know, that people who want to stay, who want to live in this country uh, ask this question about, which is basically to do with curry history trivia, you know, and I'm really surprised that chicken tikka masala is so famous that it's a question on the citizenship test. I just find it funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting that that curry and, and is more than just, as I said, once again, more than just a dish, more than just a plant with leaves, which is often not even used in, in curry, right, in the dish. Yeah, um, or oh, the curry, curry leaves. Yeah, that it takes on the stories, you know. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and then it becomes its own thing. You know, when it, when yeah. it travels uh, to other countries and when people from other cultures adapt it to their own tastes, it just becomes a different thing. And this is why you know some some people have said to me, "Oh, aren't you angry about Anglo Indians? You know, like ruining your cuisine?" And I'm like, "Well, no, because you know I, I've got Anglo Indian friends, and um, there isn't there, there's a thriving but small Anglo Indian community in India, and you can't say to them that your cuisine is not authentic, right? <laughs> yeah, not authentic version of Indian food or Indian cuisine. You can't differentiate, like, you know, you can't say, oh, it's not authentic, it's not proper Indian food, it's not genuine Indian food or whatever, because um, it's, you know, it's their adaptation. And, yeah. you know, you can't say that an Indian version is superior or anything because, you know, everyone has their own, their own, I mean, they've taken something, you know, which I think India or in India has given to them and they've made it their own adaptation. And mm-hmm. I think I think we need to accept that. Um, yes. So I don't think we, I mean, which is why I think, you know, cancelling the word curry or making statements like, oh, curry doesn't exist. You know, I just think it's really naive. That's right. As long as it's not used to, you know, as in a derogatory fashion. Exactly. Uh, you know, imitation is the best form of flattery, right? Mm, yeah, that's right. So, yeah. And I, I, and we are such a world of, of immigrants and, uh, and travelers that, uh, you know, I think to take another person's um, cuisine and make it your own is, is a very interesting thing that happens. Yeah, and also dishes change when they travel. I mean, you know, the, the way that diaspora Indian communities cook in Britain or in South Africa or um, in Kenya, for instance, um, it's different from how Indian people cook in India. And that's that's to do with availability of ingredients. It's to do with your right. mm-hmm. palates or your taste changing. Or you might want to in- integrate the, you know, the ingredients from the country you're living in with with the you know with original ingredients with traditional ingredients and you might want to create something new which is called third cuisine so there's nothing wrong with that you know it's no. just um, i think this is how dishes evolve and you know the, the, that's how you know cuisine um progresses i think and changes well it is a very powerful mighty but small so small book <laughs> but it has it's packed with a lot of information and a and very unique approach to describing um curry and the story around it yeah i, I wanted to write it from an indian angle because um I, i've read books on curry you know written by other people and they haven't actually addressed the no one has addressed the issue of does curry exist or why mm-hmm. why do people want to cancel it and i think it's because 
those books were written a few years ago and this discussion is quite new. It's kind of like come up in the last few years, partly partly because social media has really taken off, you know, Twitter and uh, Facebook and Instagram, you know, so these discussions come up periodically in, on social media platforms. Um, and so it's a fairly new discussion, which is kind of instigated by, I think, mostly, you know, diaspora Indians, although mm-hmm. the first person to question the term curry was probably Madhuri Jeffrey back in the 1970s. Um, so it's not an entirely new discussion, but it's com- it's been coming up, you know, quite a lot recently. Um, and so, you know, the previous authors haven't really addressed it to the extent that I have. And the other thing which I've done, which I'm really proud of, is really kind of delved into the, the roots of the term and the definition of the term and, you know, where it comes from. So yes. I've written it from an Indian angle and an Indian person's angle and, you know, the conclusion and so on is, that's that's yeah. very Indian. And that's what makes it different from some of the other books on curry. Um, and we've done a very nice job, I must say. And, and uh I think it's now the responsibility of all of us on social media who are familiar with some of these Indian dishes to call them by their right name, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. right. (laughs) (laughs) The The book is called The Philosophy of Curry by Sejal Sukhadwala. And Sejal, thank you so much for taking the time to talk about this work and, um, and now we'll all no, cook, thank cook you. Dish something with some wonderful tastes and wonderful spices. Thank you, and have a good day. Yeah, thank you, for, thank you for inviting me, and uh, it's nice talking to you. You're more than welcome, and thank you for listening. This has been another Taste of the Past. A Taste of the Past is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe 